welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Right now, that is also always my mission, but my mission also is to awaken the world to what is going on right now in this fear pandemic that we are all in the midst of globally. I have started, I have started a new th series of videos that started posting this week. The title of that series is 2020, Open Your Eyes. Sorry, 2020, the year of clear vision, open your eyes. There are two parts I've already recorded to that video and the links will be below. Today is a very special episode. Um, the title of this show today is State Governors Are Committing a Crime with David Martin. I just discovered David Martin last night and I contacted him this morning and he was so gracious. He's extremely busy. He's doing a lot of interviews, but he was so gracious to uh, do a short interview with me. And he, when he emailed me and agreed to do the interview, I wasn't even dressed. I had on my pajamas and he wanted to do it right then. And I was like, give me a few minutes to at least put on a top. I couldn't even find my glasses. So it, 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 it was great. I'm so thankful that he came on to share his wisdom with us. And please um, listen carefully to what he is saying because there is an action state statement at the end or action step that we can all take. So we don't have to be sitting ducks. We have power as a collective. We have, we have power individually and collectively, and there are things we can do. So please um, take a listen to this interview with David Martin. I'm so thankful for him. Thank you. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap, um, wrap as close to uh, kind of 3.20 as we can, 3.30 at the outside. Okay, thank you so much. You're most welcome. Okay, welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, and my mission is to inspire the world to awaken. And right now, we are in the midst of an awakening, a mask awakening. I want to welcome David E. Martin to Awake to Oneness Radio. I just found him last night, and I, he's here. Okay, David, please share with our listeners what you shared in the video you posted, uh, I'm not sure, a day or so ago. Yeah, on, on uh, the David Martin World YouTube channel, we posted on Monday the, um, the very detailed allegations of what has transpired allegedly in the name of public health um, with respect to what we're calling this COVID-19 situation. Um, if your viewers look back at the preceding week's videos, what you'll find is that throughout the entirety of this process and going all the way back into the, the early part of the year in January, we've been investigating the, the whole nature of how this thing has been unfolding because something about it reeked from the very beginning. The fact that we could go from allegedly on the 31st of December, having the identification of what was called the novel coronavirus 
um, in China to less than a month later um, having the basic architecture of what has become the pandemonium of the last several months yes. tests any level of credulity, right? I mean, as a, as a reasonable human being, you sit back and you say, okay, is it, is it reasonable to expect that in the space of 10 days, the world went from having never encountered this thing before to suddenly knowing what it was, having a name for it, having a disease that we allegedly identified um, and, and so forth. And there was a lot of stuff that just didn't seem to add up. And my business for the last 22 years has, has been explicitly focused on looking at the financial and intellectual property intersection where patents and money go together. And so, as is always the case, the first thing we did was we looked to see whether this story held up. And the answer is, it so patho pathologically didn't hold up that there had to be something else going on. Yes. Um, and as I laid out in the video on Monday, the concern that we have is that the United States government um, and the government in China, for the last four and a half years, <clears throat> have been engaged in something that really is actually not just unethical, but illegal. The illegal act actions that have been going on is that the US Center for Disease Control in 2003 filed a patent on the coronavirus making the transmission into humans. And for those of you who are not familiar with this, filing a patent on an object of nature is actually illegal. Um, under 35 US Code Section 101, the law prohibits filing a patent on any natural phenomenon. So the fact that the CDC filed a patent on a virus that jumped into humans allegedly in 2002, 2003, is actually by itself an illegal act. But what was problematic about the patent that they did file was they also laid claim to the detection of coronavirus and a kit to diagnose coronavirus. And so for 17 years, from 2003 until right now, the ability for anybody to develop, approve, um, refine, tests, or detection technologies to establish that coronavirus actually exists has been something that the CDC exclusively has been able to control under their illegal patent. Now, I keep referring to the fact that this is an illegal patent, yes. and the reason it's important to do this, and by the way, the fact checkers at factcheck.org or factcheck.gov or whatever it is, the Annenberg fact checkers who are supposedly the media watchdogs making sure people tell the truth themselves have lied about this particular situation. The fact checkers are lying because the fact of the matter is they have essentially tried to debunk the fact that CDC filed this patent in 2003. They've tried to debunk the fact that there has been a patent that has restricted the ability to use or to examine or research this particular coronavirus. And the fact is, that they haven't read the patent because the patent was not only illegal in 2003, but in 2013, the Supreme Court confirmed that patenting genes is against federal law. And in 2014, even in the face of having a ruling saying what they had was illegal, yes. the Center for Disease Control maintained that patent. They filed new fees to maintain a patent illegally. There is no justification and in the Annenberg Association or the Annenberg Foundation's fact check service, the fact checker has not checked the facts because the fact was that in 2014, the CDC illegally renewed the patent, which was declared unconstitutional and invalid in 2013. 
And they did it all the while working with a select few number of companies in the United States and the Wuhan Institute of Virology mm-hmm. to not only work on the coronavirus itself, but to work on chimeric variants or what, were the, what was the research was called gain of function, okay. which is essentially to take the virus and turn it into a super virus, yes. turn it into something far worse than it was. And yes. when the Obama administration in 2013 and 2014 became concerned that the research that was being done was unethical and potentially illegal. The National Institutes of Health through Department of Health and Human Services and the branch of NIAID, which is Dr. Fauci's branch of of Department of Health and Human Services, they decided to open up the research collaboration to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which in 2018, was found to be irresponsible with how it was handling biological agents, specifically high-class, high-sensitive agents. And so across the board, what's happened is that the CDC and the NIAID, Anthony Fauci's organization, have been working together illegally, violating not only the Constitution of the United States, but also violating antitrust laws in the 15 U.S. Code, the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act, Mm -hmm. which violate antitrust laws which have directly implicated the harm that each American is now experiencing when governors are issuing orders that actually have no basis in medical fact. In fact, as recently as April of 2020, Mm -hmm. the Journal of the American Medical Association maintains that there is no scientific evidence for face mask wearing. This is absolutely 100% Journal of the American Medical Association. This is not Dave Martin's opinion. This is not something else. It is published and it is published as scientific evidence-based recommendations. But we've been told by fact checkers, we've been told by the media, we've been told by governors that we're supposed to do something. And no governor in this country is authorized to mandate upon a citizenship anything that cannot be established as a standard of care or a standard of practice, even in the situations of public health emergencies. No one has a scientific piece of data that says that the social distancing is actually verified in any scientific literature. And the specific recommendations of the Journal of the American Medical Association in April of 2020 maintain that a healthy population wearing face masks has no clinical or scientific evidence. So the whole thing is a ruse. It's being perpetrated on the public by a group of individuals who are economically incentivized to actually have all of us cowed into the corner. And I simply will not be quiet about it. Well, thank you so much. Everything you said, um, I've felt from day one. Um, There's a Dr. Andrew Huffman who a very credible medical doctor researcher who did an interview that is ba- the entire interview is banned from YouTube and Facebook, but it's on London Real. I just watched that two nights ago about the face mask. He said, as a doctor, this is a medical doctor saying a face mask is like, and this is his analogy, if you want to keep mosquitoes out of your yard and you put up a chain link fence meaning a virus which has not been detected, but any virus, the, the, the size of the virus is so small that it can penetrate a face mask the same way a mosquito can penetrate a chain link fence. 
And people have actually died wearing the face mask because they have asthma or other issues where they're having trouble getting air as it is. Somebody died from driving with a face mask on. Accident caused by wearing a face mask and then it was chalked up to be COVID-19 death. Well, let, let's, I, I like to stay entirely focused. One of the reasons yes. why my content has been able to stay up on all the platforms is because I'm giving the challenge to all of the fact checkers and all of the censors and everyone else. The challenge is that if you set as your standard for facts, that it has to be peer reviewed and it has to be science. Yes. My point is very simple. Then you are held to the same standard, right? If, if you're going to say that facts and science are those things which have been peer reviewed and published, then the fact of the matter is, to date, there is no evidence whatsoever in any publication ever that says that the social distancing recommendations can be verified among a healthy population. None. Everything that has been published to that effect has suggested it based on a series of models, and those models assume a reduction of contact among a, among a healthy population, but not the effective house arrest, which is the stay-at-home orders that have been issued. Yes. There is no governor who has been willing or able to prove that there is scientific verification for that step or for the face mask step. And I would submit to anybody looking at this, and once again, that's why I stay focused on their facts. If we yes. follow their rules yes. of what is a fact, their rules confirm that there is no evidence, and it explicitly says that in the most recent update of the Journal of the American Medical Association. And I don't know how you trump that if you're sitting in a state house somewhere and you're a governor and you think you can actually suppress your population. Thank you so much. I never wanted to put on a face mask. Here, I live in the state of Pennsylvania. I used to live in Charlottesville in the 80s. It's beautiful there where you are. Lovely. Um, I love it. I love it there. But I live now I live in Pennsylvania. And when they mandated face masks here in Pennsylvania on March the 20th, I was like, I'm not wearing it. But I live alone and I do have to get groceries. I cannot go in a grocery store without putting it on. And I it, I appall putting it on. So it's it, it's a total stripping away of our rights. And I, I, I did a video on that as soon as that happened, that they're just, we're just handing over our rights willy-nilly when I know this is not, not what it, they pretended to be. So now please share with our listeners well, what remember, they can do. Oh, go ahead. Well, in, in the YouTube, in the most recent YouTube um, posting that came up on, on Tuesday of this week, um, under Show More, um, I had thousands of people saying, what can we do? What can we do? Right. The fact of the matter is what the governor of Pennsylvania has done, like the governors of 42 other states, is a violation of the emergency acts and the emergency authorizations that governors are afforded. You cannot put a, a population in a controlled situation by declaring a, a state of emergency on a thing that cannot be verified and tested and cannot be proven. Nobody's authorized to do that. You cannot put individuals and suspend constitutional rights of those individuals 
into a con constrained environment if you don't have evidence to support what you're doing. And the problem is, at the time of the emergency declaration in Pennsylvania, just like at the time of the emergency declaration in most of the other states, no governor had empirical evidence that said that we even at the time had confirmation that this particular virus was in fact unique and novel and that it in fact was the cause of all of the reported illnesses and deaths that were happening. Now you'll notice that in the middle of March, the Center for Disease Control decided to change how it classified the disease. And let's get very clear. There is supposedly a novel coronavirus, but we've been told by every scientist who has studied this that we don't have a novel virus. We at least have four different strains of the SARS virus. So even saying SARS coronavirus 2, which was the official designation given back in January, is not technically correct. There are at least four different strains of the coronavirus that we know of, and there are many more, by the way, that we don't know of. But giving them the benefit of the doubt, which I am loath to do, because they've gotten everything else wrong. They've got the models wrong, they've got the ventilators wrong, they've got the treatments wrong, so why would we give them credit for getting this one right? But even if we give them the benefit of the doubt, what we know is that at the time of the emergency declarations, not a single governor had any evidence to suggest that a virus was the cause of an abnormal pneumonia condition that was being observed around the country. To this day, what we know is that there are people who have died who have evidence of a viral infection. That is true. What we do not know and what we cannot know is that in fact the virus that is associated with these individuals is in fact what killed them. And what is important for everybody to realize is that somewhere between 80 and 85% of the people who present with the, in, the, the pneumonia and the advanced respiratory distress do not have, as evidenced by testing, do not have coronavirus. Now, if the majority of people who think they have it don't, then it is a fallacy for any governor to say that coronavirus is the basis for declaration of a state or for the federal government to declare a national or for the World Health Organization to declare an international pandemic or state of emergency. To date, there is no clinical scientific evidence that says that a new virus is what's causing this problem. And if you go back and you look at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill patent issued to Ralph Barrett, where he put pieces of coronaviruses together to create a synthetic virus that had particular virulence properties, you'll see that the exact same science that went into creating a super version of this virus is actually science that is now being used to describe how this particular SARS-CoV-2 is getting into the cells. They have yet, and by they I mean the entire scientific community, has yet to identify the attributes of what they're calling this novel coronavirus, which is actually directly and scientifically proven to be cause of death.
And what's happening is people are saying, well, there might have been a fragment of this virus, therefore that's probably what killed somebody. That's not science, that's a hunch. And by the way, hunches are fine. You can have a hunch, all of science is based on hunches. So there's nothing wrong with a hunch, but there is something absolutely wrong with suspending the Constitution of the United States for a hunch. Yeah. That is not acceptable, it's never acceptable. And I've got to call out to the attorneys who are actually filing cases all over the country. Okay. They are not arguing the right case. The case that needs to be argued is that there was no legal basis for either the establishment of the declaration of an epidemic or pandemic under the requirements that that has to be verifiable based on scientific evidence. And there is no evidence supporting either the social distancing or the face mask wearing requirements that they've imposed on their citizens. None of the diagnosis of the problem and none of the cure have been verified with any science whatsoever. Yes, so, so true. Now please share what you shared in your video, how we, the people, can help. Yeah, so on the YouTube video for, for, um, for the uh, 27th of April, under the show more, so you go to YouTube, David Martin World, you go to show more under that video, there is text that you can copy and paste at the bottom of that link. And that text can be sent to your US attorney. So in every state, yes. the Department of Justice has its branches of the federal law enforcement arm of the US government. They're called US attorney's offices. What you do is you go and you look up who your U.S. attorney is for your district. Some states only have a U.S. attorney for the state. Some states have multiple U.S. attorneys. What you do is you find the U.S. attorney for your region and you send that letter adjusted. I wrote it for Virginia. You yes. send it adjusted for Pennsylvania. You send it adjusted for California or Mississippi or South Carolina, wherever you are. And you send it to your U.S. attorney and you copy it to your House of Representatives member and you copy it to your senators. Okay. What we the people must do is we must make individuals accountable for the fact that they have directly harmed the citizens of the United States. And it is not acceptable under any circumstance. And Attorney General William Barr, I have to give him a lot of credit for the fact that he is actually warning states that they have potentially overreached in their suspension of constitutional protections of US citizens. But the fact of the matter is the Department of Justice, state representatives, congressmen and women, and senators all need to be put on notice that the damage they have done to the Constitution is a violation of their oath, and the damage they have done to the economy as a result of their draconian measures is something for which they will be liable. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, because I know I was wide awake. And, and didn't have all the knowledge that you have, but I was still wide awake what was going on. And I wanted in my one of my videos, I'm like, if there's an attorney listening to this, I, I mean, I don't know if you're an attorney, but you, you talk like an attorney, which is great, but you know, you know what you're talking about. And so many people I've been encouraging for weeks, people, please wake up. Uh, the term I use is sheeple. You know, just, you know, I haven't watched news in 19 years. 
thank God, have not watched a bit of me, but I know what's going on and I'm wide awake. And I, I just wanted to encourage, so I, I know you're really busy because you, um, you have so many interviews you're doing today, but I just wanted to share with my listeners and my viewers, and I'm sharing your, your information everywhere I can um, because we, we, we have the power. We, the yes, we do. people, we do have the power. We have to stop giving away our innate rights for scams. Basically. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, Carolyn, one of the things I try to encourage people to, to think about is that all major transformations of civilizations ultimately come down to actually a few people. Yes. Um, yes. You know, I, I always point out in, you know, in 1944, when, when the World War II was in full swing, the group that gathered at Bretton Woods that came up with the ideas for things like the World Bank and the, the multilateral organizations that have been many, in many instances, the bane of our existence for the last 80 years. Yes. It was a very small group of people. It was 730 people in, in, in a northeastern resort at Bretton Woods. And of those people, there were only about 14 people who really framed the priorities. It doesn't take many people to stand up for either light or dark yes. and have an enormous impact. And our goal right now is to make sure that every citizen of the United States realizes, and that includes, by the way, an enormous number of people with legal backgrounds Yes. Who are not familiar with the case that this is a constitutional and an antitrust case. This is the United States government agencies under the Department of Health and Human Services conspiring with themselves and conspiring with their affiliated organizations and conspiring with industry to make sure that we are essentially backed into the corner yes. where they control the means of confirming whether or not there is a problem. They control the means of testing the degree of prevalence. They control 100% of the narrative, and there is no means by which an independent verification can be made. That is not legal, it is not ethical, and it is un-American. And it's time we call that out. Well, thank you so much. And you, um, I actually, my, I have one sibling and he is an attorney. And, and <laughs> to be honest, this is the first time he and I have ever agreed on anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Hopefully this will bring him together. And if he wants to actually get a pit bull in his corner, I'd be happy to work with him. So oh, definitely. Let's, let, let's move that forward. And thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time because I know how busy you are. And like I said, I don't even have my glasses on because I couldn't find them. And I just, I didn't want to waste your time looking for my glasses. But no thank you so much. Thank you. I, am, I will be airing this tonight at seven o'clock Eastern our time and you can share it. And it's just, oh, I thank you so much. Thank Very you. good. Thank you so much. Have a lovely, lovely day. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. God right. bless. Bye -bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Um, today, people, I, uh, I look a little different, and that is because in the past, when I have done the investigations that ultimately give rise to legal actions that I have succeeded uh, bringing against a number of entities around the world, I think it's appropriate that we have a certain decorum about how we engage when we are actually making very serious and very con contemplated um, allegations in this case and reporting on some criminal activity. And as a result of this, this video is also going to be submitted to a number of U.S. attorneys 
uh, to the Attorney General, to other law enforcement agencies, and as a result, and in honor and respect for their roles and their posts, I think it's appropriate that we bring an appropriate level of decorum to the process. The second thing is, I have some notes here. And the reason I have notes is because I'm going to make very precise statements. And these statements are not things to take lightly. They are actually extremely serious. They are allegations. And they are allegations that are based on the facts that I'm going to be presenting. As a result of that, you're going to see me look at my notes because I take this matter very, very seriously. I need to set the stage for where we're going. At the end of this, I'm going to make a series of allegations of violations of both the United States Constitution, a series of civil and criminal acts that have been engaged around the entire COVID-19 pandemic fear-mongering and scare tactics, and I'm going to be specific in naming individuals and organizations that are at least implicated, if not directly involved, in the conspiracy that I'm laying out. So let's set the stage a little bit with some laws that are not necessarily commonly known. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8 of the United States Constitution, and as it is manifest in the 35 U.S. Code, is the law that gives rise to intellectual property, the right for somebody, an inventor or an author, to have access to their inventions for a period of time for commercial exploitation. That is a constitutional right granted under Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8 of the United States Constitution. Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2 is an interesting clause that you don't hear about very much, but it's actually something that is a presumption, not only in the United States Constitution, but in most of the civilized world, and that is the writ of habeas corpus. Now, what does habeas corpus mean? That means that there is a recourse in the law when someone has been placed in confinement, and when that confinement is either unjustified or inappropriate. Habeas corpus under the Constitution, under Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2, cannot be suspended, and it cannot be suspended in the absolute sense of this. This, by the way, is something that is alluded to in Attorney General William Barr's memo dated today, released just a few hours ago. Now, those are constitutional provisions. What I'm also going to lay out are two very important other provisions that come out of the turn of the last century, most of them in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And those two provisions are called the Sherman Act, which is 15 U.S. Code Section 1 and following, and the Sherman Act, which was amended with a thing called the Clayton Act in 1914. And I just want to make reference to three provisions inside of the Sherman and Clayton Act. Combined, these represent what's called the Antitrust Acts of the United States. 15 U.S. Code Section 1 actually makes it illegal for anything that is a conspiracy and restraint of trade or commerce among the states with or with foreign nations, and any of those actions are declared illegal. Every person who shall make a contract or engage in a combination or conspiracy is declared to be illegal and shall be deemed guilty of a felony. And I made reference to the fact that this is criminal and civil allegations. The criminal allegations are given rise from the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act. 15 U.S. Code Section Code 2, Section 2, talks about a violation of monopolizing trade. And this says every person who shall monopolize or attempt to monopolize or combine or conspire with any other person or persons to monopolize any part of trade or commerce among the several states 
or with foreign nations shall be deemed guilty of a felony. And once again, this is a criminal violation. And the penalty shall be not exceeding $100 million if a corporation or if a person a million dollars. The third provision that I want to give rise to with respect to the antitrust acts is a thing in section 19 called interlocking directorates and officers. And specifically, I just want to make reference to this. No person shall at any time serve as a director or officer in any two corporations engaged in whole or in part in commerce and by virtue of their business or location of operation competitors so that the elimination of competition by agreement would constitute a violation of any, any antitrust law. Now, those five provisions, two acts of the Constitution, which give rise to all kinds of cures in both civil matters and otherwise, and the Sherman Act, which are actually criminal acts, are very important to set the stage for what happened. On April 25th, 2003, the United States Center for Disease Control broke the law. They broke 35 U.S. Code Section 101 in the filing of a patent entitled Coronavirus Isolated from Humans. Under Section 101 of US, 35 U.S. Code, the patenting of a substance of nature is illegal. This was confirmed, by the way, in a Supreme Court case with which we were affiliated in 2013 against Myriad Genetics. And the Supreme Court ruled in their affirmation of this that it is illegal to have a patent on a human gene. The Center for Disease Control, April 25, 2003, filed a patent for and ultimately received United States Patent 7776521. And I need to make a very specific reference to the fact that in claims three and four, the method of detecting SARS virus and a kit for the detection of SARS virus was granted with no limitation, particularly claim four, which reads a kit for detecting a severe acute respiratory syndrome associated coronavirus in a sample. That's as broad as you get. They received a patent that restricted anyone anywhere in the United States from engaging in any activity using this. Now, from April 2003 and following, the CDC owned not only SARS, but they owned the kit to detect SARS. Its ability to be detected, its ability to manufacture kits, and during that 15-year period, the effect of this grant which was ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, meant that commercial exploitation or any research involving the commercial exploitation of the virus or any kit to detect the virus would have been an infringement of the CDC patent and therefore an infringement giving rise to CDC's actions were it not for the fact that CDC's patent and their maintenance thereof is actually illegal. CDC and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, led by Anthony Fauci, that's, the right, that's right, the Dr. Fauci that you hear, entered into trade among states, including but not limited to a corporation called EcoHealth Alliance Incorporated, 
and with foreign governments and foreign entities in direct violation of the Sherman Act provisions, specifically the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the Chinese Academy of Sciences, through a 2004 National Institutes of Health grant, R01AI110964. That constitutes commercial activity involving an illegal asset entered into interstate and international commerce in violation of the Sherman Act. The CDC and NIAID also entered into a commercial engagement with the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which is obviously interstate, and with foreign nations, specifically the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the Chinese Academy of Sciences, with Dr. Ralph S. Barrick of the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, and Dr. Zheng Li Shi, the head of the research component of the project that included not only the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but the National Natural Science Foundation of China. CDC and the NIAID entered into trade among states, in addition, which gave rise not only to a constructive infringement, unless there was another undisclosed agreement on the patent that was held by CDC, with the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and with foreign nations to conduct chimeric construction of novel coronavirus material with specific virulence properties prior to, during, and following the determination made by the National Institute of Health on October the 17th, 2014, that this work was not sufficiently vetted for biosecurity and safety standards. Further, it is presumed, and this is a presumption, please make the clear distinction, this is a presumption, that the CDC and its associates were A, fully aware of the work being performed using their patented technology, B, entered into explicit or implicit agreements including licensing or other consideration, and we know there's other consideration because we know the amounts of the grants that were exchanged, and C, willfully engaged one or more foreign interests to carry forward the expo exploitation of their proprietary te technology after the United States Supreme Court rendered that technology and the proprietary rights to that technology illegal under their 2013 determination. Now, it's interesting to note that in January 2018, the U.S. Embassy reportedly sent two individuals to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and in their examination found that a number of individuals and, and parts of the laboratory procedure were not in compliance with safe operating procedures for the level of severity of the biohazards within that laboratory. The Washington Post reported that a cable dated the 19th of January, 2018, confirmed that there was, and I quote, during interactions with scientists at the WIV laboratory, they noted that the new lab has serious shortage of appropriately trained technicians and investigators needed to safely operate this high containment laboratory. A year later, in June 2019, the CDC conducted an inspection of Fort Detrick's U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, or U.S. AMRID, and ordered it closed after what appears to be the same violations. And this is actually quite critical, because the Center for Disease Control shut down a laboratory for the very same argument that was made when the State Department and embassy staff reportedly 
found the same or similar violations at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. As those information with respect to the Fort Detrick investigation are not clearly available, all we can assume is that CDC selectively and capriciously closed one lab and let another with similar, similar violations that also had a financial interest in their activities to continue. Now, here's where it gets a little messy, folks, because CDC reported the first SARS-CoV case in January 2020. And according to the CDC's own Epidemic Intelligence Service, by the end of January to the 1st or 2nd of February, there were 650 clinical cases and what they report to be 210 tests performed. Now just stop for a minute and ask yourself the question. If the test, which reportedly was not approved by the FDA for emergency use, remember, for emergency use, was not approved until the 4th of February, how is it that in late January, allegedly the CDC had already allegedly conducted 210 tests on alleged cases of coronavirus infection in the United States? Given that the suspected pathogen was first implicated in official reports on December 31st, 2019, and only isolated within that very short period of time between December 31st and the early part of January, one can only conclude that the CDC had the mechanism and the wherewithal to conduct tests to confirm the existence of a novel coronavirus, did not have the, the, the mechanism, but falsely reported the information, and it certainly tests credulity of both the World Health Organization and the CDC that they could manufacture before anyone even knew this virus existed and had not clarified it in any form of genomic testing, that they had tests for 210 tests before any emergency youth authorization was granted. Did the CDC have the test? Did they not have the test? Why doesn't the world have the test? The world doesn't have the test because from 2003 until today, the CDC illegally held, maintained, and controlled an illegal patent on both the virus and on the test that would be required to detect its presence. The reason why you can be told there is a novel coronavirus and the reason why there is no way to empirically validate whether there actually is SARS-CoV-2 or not is because the CDC maintained an illegal monopoly, restrained trade, and violated both the Sherman and the Clayton Act in their business practices with both domestic and foreign operators. Around March 12th, and this date becomes exceptionally important to the last comment I'm going to make. Around March 12th, 2020, in an effort to enrich their own economic interests by way of securing additional funding from both federal and foundation actors, the CDC and NIAID, Dr. Fauci elected to suspend testing as a requirement to classify a patient with COVID-19. Now, March 12th is really important. Not surprisingly, as there was a drop in reported cases, the liberalization of what constituted a suspected or presumptive positive case needed to be created to incite fear and to prop up the fear of a pandemic, which was never capable of being independently verified because of an illegal action taken by the Center for Disease Control.
the CDC, and the WHO, elected to commit to a narrative of a novel coronavirus. And remember, they had the only ability to do so. They patented the compound of nature illegally, and then they held the patent on the test for that compound. There was no way to independently verify this. Further, they participated in exhibiting properties of virulence that include the ACE2 receptor and other sp spike protein properties, which are the subject of U.S. Patent 7618802, issued to the University of North Carolina's own Ralph Barrick. And in the absence of testing protocols, all of them elected to insist that SARS-CoV-2 was a novel pathogen responsible for conditions that, and I'm quoting, were consistent with moderate to severe acute respiratory syndrome and pneumonia. You heard me correctly. And the reason why that last statement is so important is because as of today, there are still with all of the liberal definitions of what counts as a COVID patient, there are still more cases since March the 12th of pneumonia of an idiopathic origin, meaning an, a pneumonia that comes from a, a pathogen we don't know. There are still more cases of pneumonia with an idiopathic origin than there are COVID cases by over 5,000. And for those of you who like to go into the CDC webpage and do the gotcha moment on, well, but there's a reporting glitch, the problem is the reporting glitch lives in both sets of data, in both sets of data. And the pneumonia numbers still outstrip the COVID numbers by over 5,000 as of today. There is no question that on February 17th, 2014, when the Center for Disease Control paid your tax dollars to renew a patent that was declared illegal by the United States Supreme Court in June 2013, almost a year apart, when they renewed their illegal patent on February 17, 2014, the Center for Disease Control violated Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8 of the United States Constitution. By renewing their illegal patent on February 17, 2014, the CDC willfully violated the law using public funds in light of a Supreme Court ruling that actually had declared their actions illegal on June 13, 2013. With respect to Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2, the protection of habeas corpus, Governor Gavin Newsom in California, under Executive Order N3320 based the declaration of a state of emergency and the ultimate, the ultimate restriction of civil liberties on, and I quote, the threat of COVID-19. There is no constitutional protection. And by the way, if you go and look at the Juho case in, in the case in San Francisco, during the, the uh, previous pandemic litigation in the Supreme Court, you'll realize that there is no protection that has ever afforded a governor in any state the right to suspend civil liberties on the threat of a thing, particularly when that threat has not given, been given the opportunity to be examined no background of the underlying supporting science has been verifiable. And in this particular case, 
could not be verified without infringing the CDC's patent or without their collusion. Fox guarding the hen house? Absolutely. And Governor Newsom's order, by stating that it is under the threat without any confirmed serology or confirmed immunologic evidence, violated not only his rights under government code sections 8567, 8627, and 8655, which, by the way, never give anybody the right to declare an emergency based on merely an unsubstantiated threat. At the time of that declaration, neither the CDC nor the WHO had sufficient testing in place to confirm or isolate the novel coronavirus. California did not have pathology data to suggest that the epidemic was even imminent. And the rest of the United States was incapable of making any such assessment because of the aforementioned actions of the conspiring parties. Let me make this point abundantly clear. To date, there is no clinical data showing that the restraint of healthy individuals, also known as social distancing, has any empirical data supporting its use. If you look at the University of Washington, Johns Hopkins, and Imperial College models, not a single one of them mandates entire lockdown of a healthy population. The most aggressive assumptions under social distancing are set forth to be a workplace reduction of about a reduction of 50%. But in no model, in no scientific document, in no place at all has there ever been validation that quarantining a healthy population has any merit in science. Governor Newsom, followed by another 44 governors, or sorry, 42 governors, decided unilaterally to take propaganda rather than science and turn it into public policy. This directly violates the constitutional protections of the United States. The Sherman Act and the Clayton Act were violated with all the events that were mentioned above and the collusion around the CDC patent because they had the exclusive restrictive right both on studying the virus and on building any diagnostic kits are self-evident and argued under the Sherman and the Clayton Act. Now, I told you that there was going to be another piece, that 15 U.S. Code Section 19, which is the prohibition of interlocking directorates. I just want to read into the record the fact that Dr. Fauci is on the leadership council of the Bill and Melinda Gates Global Vaccine Action Plan. Now, that is public information. Whether he still maintains that position or not, he certainly was in the role he was at NIAID at the time he was given this appointment. And Leah Devlin, who is on the CDC Foundation board, is also on the faculty of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. These two individuals should be subject to further investigation under 15 U.S. Code Section 19 for the prohibition of interlocking directorates. Now, I told you March 12th was an important date. For those of you who don't follow the news very closely, the Patriot Act, which many, many, many people really found to be odious and offensive, was renewed by Congress until March 15th, 2020. That means that all of Dr. Fauci's nonsense, all the CDC behavior, all of the crap that we have been going through with respect to all of the lockdowns and the suspension of civil rights 
was in fact going on before the Patriot Act expired on March 15th. 2020, just as a point of reference, remember Gavin Newsom's order came out on March the 4th, 2020. Under Section 802 of the Patriot Act, the Patriot Act says that domestic terrorism is a person engaging in domestic terrorism if they do an act that is, and I quote, dangerous to human life, that is a violation of criminal laws of a state or of the United States, and if the act is intended to, one, intimidate or coerce a civilian population, and two, influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion. I am submitting to you right now that Dr. Fauci, the Center for Disease Control, and their co-conspiring governors have in fact violated the domestic terrorism provision under the Patriot Act, and anyone who instituted a lockdown order based on fallacious, subjective, and capricious determinations prior to the 15th of March did so in explicit violation of the Patriot Act, Section 802. Now, that is a serious allegation. And that's a serious allegation because this matter is serious. We went 17 years, ladies and gentlemen, we went 17 years during which the Center for Disease Control colluded and restricted the ability for anyone to get normative data on the presence or prevalence of coronavirus infection. The reason we don't know whether there is actually a COVID-19 event or as the data that has been reported recently by Reuters and others might suggest, which is that coronavirus has been circulating the population with asymptomatic carriers in the majority, up to 96% of people testing positive for coronavirus. And remember, these are people testing positive. Up to 96% of them are asymptomatic. We have no evidence to suggest that we are in the midst of a pandemic. We have only because of the collusive behavior of CDC, which restricted the development of tests, we only have been testing for this virus since February of 2020. For 17 years, we could have had this information and we don't have it because of a criminal conspiracy. Now, this is not a theory. Every piece of information is independently verified. Every piece of information has been presented and is documented. And if you have an interest in asking me the question, which I get asked all the time, but Dave, what can we do? At the end of the file that I have presented that goes along with this particular presentation that's available in PDF, and it's also available tomorrow on YouTube, I have actually written a template letter which I sent to the American Civil Liberties Union and to a number of U.S. attorneys and to a number of attorney general outposts and to the Office of Inspector General and to a number of media outlets, I have given you a template letter that you can copy, substitute your state, substitute your province, your country, and submit the exact same letter. This is not a, oh my God, this is too big, how can we potentially do anything about this? This is a your get off your ass moment. Get up and do something. If you want to stand as a patriot for liberty, do it.
But whatever you do, I am not interested in engaging conversations about beliefs. And I'm going to speak directly to the people who have been making comments about face masks and social distancing and everything else. Until you have read the science, by the way, which I have made copiously available, and these are not my publications, these are not my opinions, these, this is not science I published. This is science coming from the mainstream medical science establishment. Until you have actually read the articles, I need you to shut up about your opinions on whether or not you're making grandma healthy or safe or not. The fact of the matter is, every person I have seen parroting the social distancing and the mask narrative has yet to evidence a single, single evidence that they have actually read the studies upon which their recommendations are being made. And parroting propaganda is actually not patriotic. It's lazy, it's pathetic, and it's the reason why we have our rights suspended. So don't do it. I'm passionate about this, people. But guess what? I was alone, passionate, when the Prince of Liechtenstein decided to use illegal patents to shut down the rice trade in India. I was alone with all the NGOs running for cover when Starbucks tried to squeeze Ethiopia for Yerga Chefe and Harar Chefe, the only two natural cultivars of coffee that are naturally decaffeinated. I was the only one to stand against that tide. And the reason I'm passionate is because this time I'm watching friends, I'm watching family, I'm watching communities across the world fall for idiocy where public sector officials are promoting a conspiracy which is not a theory. It is a violation of five provisions of the United States laws. And it is not acceptable to allow a criminal conspiracy to go on and sit quietly and let the sheep be sent to the abattoir. That's why I'm passionate. Get off your butt, take that last little piece of the information at the end of the video, and don't freaking go march with a gun. Don't go do stupid things which do absolutely nothing but inflame. Don't do that. Do something that can and will make a difference. Let your voice be heard, not so that you get on the news tonight. Let your voice be heard so that elected officials understand that you're watching and you're willing to hold them accountable. I did it. You can do it too. And join me in the fight for liberty. There you go. That's it. I'll see you next week. Hi, thank you for um, watching both those videos. I had the interview I had with David and also the video that he posted a few days ago that brought me to his attention. He is sharing some incredible information with us. And the most important part of that is that we can take action. Please check out the document. It's a, there's a link to it. There's the template for the letter that we can email to our government um, officials, to our state um, senators and our state representatives, and also our state attorney and the um, state attorney for our area. Like he said, there are action steps that we can do as a people to take back our rights 
So please, please follow up on that. I encourage you all to do that. And I'm thankful, so thankful for David to give me, for giving me a few minutes of his time because he's extremely busy because he's doing a lot of these interviews now, which is great. The more that this message can get out to the United States at least, um, because he, he is in, he's in Virginia where I used to live in Charlottesville, beautiful air um, there. And so this is mainly the steps that he's taking are for the US, um, but it, it once it's a ripple effect. If we wake up here in the US, the rest of the world is gonna start to wake up too. Um, and I think there are people all over the world awake to what is really going on. It is very important. This is the year of 2020, the year of clear vision. It's time for everybody to open their eyes. I also like to share with everybody, go to my website and I am offering a free mentoring session with anyone interested. Um, my website is awake2onenessradio.org. So if you're interested in a free mentoring session with me, just go send me an email and I'll set that up. Also, I am hosting monthly Zoom meetings and our next monthly meeting will be May the 28th. It's Thursday, May the 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you're interested in joining us in, in a Zoom meeting, um, just send me your uh, email. Just send me an email and I will send you the, the link to that Zoom meeting. Also listed on my website is a um, list of free online events, holistic online events. We're concerned with health, I'm extremely holistic. I'm completely holistic. That's why I stay so healthy. I don't go to doc. I don't do doctors. Expect mess, uh, especially Western medicine doctors. I don't go to. But um, I stay healthy by holistic means. And there are a list of holistic um, free online events that you can check out on my website. Also, we're all concerned with health. I am so glad I'm doing my own homework. I went to the CDC website and has have discovered that the, the death toll in the United States for this year is down 6%. So that, that's factual evidence you can check yourself. The death rate the, of total deaths in the United States year to date is down 6%. So if we were in a true health pandemic, that number would be much higher. It would not be down 6%. Open your eyes, see what is really going on. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all. I love you all. Namaste.